Welcome to Slow Stories. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, the founder of Connected Editorial and the host and creator of this podcast. For those of you just joining in, Slow Stories is a series that deep dives into the rising slow content movement. In each of these episodes, I interview brand builders, entrepreneurs, and creative professionals who share what slow content means in the context of what they're building and why slowing down and creating thoughtful stories is more important than ever. Today's episode begins with an opening story from Liz Brewer, who shares how a podcast episode, and in turn, a TED Talk, inspired her to slow down and reflect. Here's more from Liz. My name is Liz Brewer, and I'm the co-founder of New Normal Bureau, a purpose-driven marketing agency based in New York City. Something that recently made me slow down was a podcast by The School of Greatness that tackled the notion of embracing discomfort and chasing your dreams. This particular episode shed light on the incredible knowledge that was shared by Lavi Ajahi, who is an established author, speaker, and digital strategist. After listening to this podcast, I actually got exposed to her famous TED Talk, Get Comfortable with Being Uncomfortable, which, given everything we're facing in the world right now, felt very compelling to me. So firstly, I wanted to hone in on a few quite powerful statements Lovey made during her podcast episode. When asked about speaking up in light of current social events with, you know, cancel culture in full force and individuals fueled by shame and judgment, she mentioned that metaphorically as an individual, you can't put out all the fires at once. But what you can do is put out the fires within your space and your community. In doing so, it forces you to stop and listen and to thoughtfully speak your truth and determine your audience, because those are really the people that you're going to have the most impact on. So catering to everyone in the age where we're fueled by the number of likes and views on our social platforms, you know, it really is refreshing to take a step back and, and check our influence for good. Which leads me to her TED Talk, where she addresses the fact that being the person who decides to speak up in hopes of provoking others to do the same requires overcoming barriers that we didn't feel comfortable to cross. So it's again this fear of potential judgment and shame that holds us back in unfolding our true purpose. So once we eliminate that fear and we can become, you know, a voice of empowerment, which is something I hold nearly to my heart as an emerging entrepreneur with a mission to bring the climate crisis, you know, a little closer to home. So with that, I encourage you all to go check out Lovey Ajahi, and I'll end with a quote from her talk on the TED stage that made me feel empowered. She said, comfort is overrated, being quiet is comfortable, keeping things where they've been is comfortable, and all comfort has done is maintain the status quo. So we gotta be comfortable with being uncomfortable by speaking these hard truths when they're necessary. Thanks so much again to Liz for sharing. Again, the TED Talk she mentioned was Get Comfortable with Being Uncomfortable by Lovey Ajayi. Now here's my interview with Vanessa Barboni-Halleck of Another Tomorrow. The catalyst for change often arises when you recognize that your days just don't feel complete. For Vanessa Barboni-Halleck, this realization was twofold. When the former finance executive turned fashion founder made the entrepreneurial leap, she refocused her ambitions to not only reshape her individual career, but to recalibrate the future of an industry that is overdue for change on a global scale. Enter her fashion brand, Another Tomorrow, which is the embodiment of Vanessa's enduring commitment to fostering both environmental and social sustainability. While the road to sustainability is not always easy or clear, Vanessa contends that leading with thoughtful storytelling and tapping into technology to create more transparency are critical details in building residents with a new generation of interconnected consumers. 
and as we all collectively work together to build a new and more inclusive world, another tomorrow has arrived just in time. In this interview, Vanessa shared more about her journey in creating more conscious business and life, how she defines slow content, and why she believes bringing back nuance to storytelling is essential to making progress. Without further delay, here's my conversation with Vanessa Barboni-Halleck of Another Tomorrow. I would say that you know I really find a deep source of energy and, and peace in nature, um, in spending time with my family and my close friendships. Um, I love music and, and really love to dance. It was funny, I, I grew up dancing and it's really like a second language to me. So. I find that uh, when no one's watching, <laughs> that's uh, that that's what I'm doing. Um, so that's that's kind of me in a nutshell outside the office. That's great. And dancing resonates with me too. I actually studied dance before getting into all of this, and I think any opportunity to reconnect with your senses in a time where we're so wedded to our devices is key. I totally agree. Yeah. And while we're talking sort of in this realm, have you come across any pieces of music or stories that have recently inspired you to slow down or reflect on the current state of your personal or professional life? Yeah, you know, it's funny. There's a book that I consistently come back to, um, and it's called A Constellation of Vital Phenomena by um, by Anthony Mara. And it's funny, you know, I, I don't come back to it and think about the plot necessarily, but it's such a powerful book. And I think one of the profound things that it taught me was really the power of the stories that we tell ourselves um, in our everyday life um, and in our culture. And, you know, as we've come through these really incredible and important uh, several months in so many ways, uh, you know, as a society, as a, on, the, on a global level, um, really finding ways to both anchor myself in the stories that I tell myself and also being a part of really the need to start telling different stories broadly in our culture is something that, um, that's really important to me. And this, this book, I think, really planted that seed. For sure. And that's actually a really nice segue into talking about your story and how much it's changed since you started your career and obviously with the inception of Another Tomorrow. But before we get into that, it would be great if you could give our listeners a quick refresher about your evolution from finance to fashion and some of the lessons you've taken from your previous endeavors into what you're doing now. Yeah, so this this shift into sustainable fashion from finance um, has been, has been an enormous one, and very much um, very much an accident uh, in some ways, but all of it really guided by you know by a sense of purpose. And so, I spent fifteen years um, in finance, which was really itself you know an accident. Growing up in a very sort of hippie liberal <laughs> environment, um, I took a sabbatical in late two thousand seventeen really thinking that I was just going to shift gears and focus on sustainable finance. Um, but I wanted to come at it from a place of just curiosity um, and learning before I figured out that exact next move. And so I just started researching different industries. I thought, you know, if I'm going to be responsible for helping to direct investment in a more responsible way, then I should really understand um, how all of these major industries are, are manifesting these 
you know, negative outcomes and externalities. And it was funny, a lot of industries are fairly straightforward in how they cause damage. But when I got to the fashion industry, I was just blown away um, and blown away by the complexity of the industry, by um, the diversity of the types of impacts that it has from people in the supply chain to highly specific ecological uh, impacts to animal welfare. And it just became information that I couldn't unknow. And particularly as I tried to apply it in my personal life, I found that um, the amount of information available at the product level for consumers is incredibly poor, uh, that our baseline knowledge um, of the apparel industry and how it impacts the planet is generally pretty weak um, and that there really aren't a lot of products out there that people genuinely want to buy that are made in a way that reflects their values. So so that was sort of the motivation for all of it. Um, but in actually building the business, there certainly have been a lot of things that I've taken from you know my finance career. Um, and I would say, you know, first and foremost, an ability to really, you know, filter through the noise, um, especially at a time like this. There's so much noise and it's hard to figure out, you know, what is going on. So this ability to sort of filter through the noise, recognize, you know, key signals to drive decision making. Um, team building, you know, I, I really spent the second half of my time um, at Morgan Stanley really building and rebuilding businesses. So that was something I, I really loved and enjoyed that's really helped to inform what I'm doing now. Um, and also just the art of listening to your customers um, and to build a business around them that really adds intrinsic value. So those are some of the positives that I've um, that I've kept with me. And there have also been a number of things that I have moved away from. Um, and one of those things I think is really a broader sense of like the cult of the individual. Um, I think a lot of times that's that's reinforced in large organizations, um, and even in the culture of you know the, this country. You know, our parents often tell us with pride that we're going to change the world, um, and I think our culture really consistently celebrates individual achievement. So I think that can be a real barrier to happiness and to progress, and actually really to our ability to solve complex problems. And, you know, it's funny for anyone who's actually interested in this theme, my friend uh, and mentor, Lorna Davis, did a great TED talk on radical interdependence and how critical that is to solving the problems that are much bigger than what any person can contribute alone. Oh, I'm definitely going to check that out. And just going back to what you were saying, too, about noise, I think a lot of where we're getting this overwhelm is stemming from this really unsustainable pace that we've established, both personally and professionally. And I'm not sure what the pace of working in finance is like. It's a world so far removed from what I know. Um, but generally, how would you say your relationship with pace has changed the most since you've made this shift across industries and as you enter this chapter of your life? Uh, it's such an interesting question. Um, so finance was certainly incredibly fast paced. Um, and the interesting thing is that um, as I transitioned from finance into uh, this role, where I definitely have a lot more control over my calendar, a lot of the pace didn't change. And I started to realize that it was actually a lot more directed by me <laughs> than by external factors. And so I've had to really actively um, bring intention to taking a breath 
um, and making sure that um, I approach the work and the time that I spend on the business from a place of, uh, you know, being present and giving certain processes, you know, the time that they deserve to really unfold. So I would say that you know, the, the pace in finance is somewhat predetermined by the nature of the business. I definitely brought a fair amount of that baggage with me and I'm just now trying to really unpack that and, um, and be more intentional about how I want to work, given that I have chosen a path that gives me that freedom to have a bit more, uh, a bit more of a choice. Yeah, it really does come down to choice. And I think just based on what I've seen and what I know about Another Tomorrow specifically, that intentionality really comes through and it's especially prevalent in the storytelling aspect. But in addition to that, it would be great if you could share some of the core pillars of the brand and also the inspiration behind the name. I mean, I always find it naming so fascinating because it really is the driver of all of these things that you're trying to get across. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, in, in approaching the the business and, and our core pillars, I felt very strongly that we needed to approach sustainability and ethics from a holistic place. Um, I think a lot of times people talk about sustainability in the context of our impact on the environment. Uh, and they talk about ethics uh, from the perspective oftentimes of people or of animals, but it's really one continuum with, I think, an underpinning of respect for, for all life. And so our pillars are human, animal, environmental welfare, and community. And, and we approach that um, really by taking a respect-based approach and a science-based approach um, in all of our decision-making and delivering that transparently to the customer using technology. So those are really our pillars. Um, you know, the name itself was an accident. <laughs> I found the naming process to be just so painful. And so I put it off uh, for a while at the beginning as the concept was developing. And the name was actually something I blurted out totally by accident. Um, and really actually at the beginning, because it came from this place that, um, I genuinely think that each and every one of us would choose a different tomorrow collectively than the one that we're on course for. And yet that tomorrow that we're on course for is really the sum total of all of our individual decisions. And so, you know, I was just saying, well, I think we would choose another tomorrow. And this kind of came out and it came out and it was a woman uh, who's a mentor of mine who said, ah, you know, I think that's, I think that's it. I think that's your, um, that's your name. That's your vision. Um, and I sat on it for quite a, quite a long time. I mean, it's kind of a funny analogy, but you know, the, the wedding dress that I ended up wearing was the very first one that I tried on. And yet I definitely didn't feel like I could just buy that and make the decision. The first one off the bat. So I really kind of sat on it, tried on a bunch of things before I ultimately came back to it. And it was the same way with the name because it's not a very fashion name. Right. Um, but you know, they're, they're uh, there you have it. And for me, another tomorrow really means, it means modeling a different possibility and creating from a place of knowledge and curiosity and, uh, and respect. And it's something that can be different for everyone. You know, I don't think that our version of tomorrow, that my version of tomorrow should be anyone else's specific version of tomorrow, but um, hopefully it inspires the idea that there is a different possibility out there and we just need to act on it. I think collectively we're all sort of asking 
what another tomorrow is going to look like, especially as we move through this time of global crisis on a number of levels. So I think there's a lot that can be explored through that lens. And it's something that I inherently kind of think about too. And like I was saying earlier, when we started recording, we're wedded to our devices and more connected than ever before and moving quickly too. And so as I've gone through my own career and storytelling and working with brands and creators who are invested in movements like slow food and slow fashion, I sort of recognized how these ideas and values could inform the way we exist and engage through the lens of content and technology. And so Slow Stories in its most current phase, we just relaunched a few weeks ago, um, is all about exploring, slowing down in our digital and social heavy age. And obviously, given where we're at with the current state of the world, I'm curious what this idea of slow content or storytelling means to you right now, both as a founder and then as an everyday consumer of content. That's such a great question because we're certainly inundated by it. And it's been so interesting even just to see the waves of it most recently as we adapt to a more and more digital um, environment. I mean, I would say that for me, slow content, you know, or storytelling really means an opportunity to travel well below the surface, you know, to, to really have an opportunity to dig deep um, out of curiosity, um, out of compassion, out of a sense of desire for connectedness, which is really kind of, you know, it's the opposite of like a swipe, <laughs> really, when you think about it. Um, and it's been really prevalent in actually the way that we built the business. I mean, I can tell you firsthand that I would not remotely have the understanding that I do of sustainability and ethics in this industry if I hadn't been really forced to actually travel extensively throughout our supply chain. Um, and that that really just came from a place of not being able to get adequate information at the outset and, and needing to really dig deep for it. And so when I think about how we communicate as a company, you know, I try and think about how can we offer that same opportunity to our community through, you know, deep like exploration, whether that's how we explain our supply chain, um, or it's, you know, really how we set up the magazine to be these really, you know, deep dive narratives of you know, supply chain journalism effectively to give people real insight and connection. Um, in terms of, you know, my own personal relationship with digital media, um, I have found that there is an inverse correlation between my happiness and my level of screen time in a given week. And so I, I kind of, you know, I look at my phone and it's interesting to see, you know, average screen time. And then I kind of think about, okay, how was I feeling over that past week? And and that relationship is, is definitely very uh, inversely correlated. Um, at the same time, you know, it's important to get information. So I've sort of tried to take that same filtering approach to, you know, how can I be connected stay in tune with those key signals, stay, stay connected to you know, people I care about that I can't see right, right now in, in, in the flesh, um, but really ensure that um, I'm the consumer of the information and it's not consuming me, which is a, a, delicate, a delicate balance. I've actually never heard it put in that way, but when you say it, it, it grounds you to a halt. But I think it makes sense, and I think it's going to be essential for the next wave of brand builders and leaders to really adopt this conscious approach to both content creation and consumption, 
And I know I've personally loved bookmarking stories on Another Tomorrow's magazine, and I was recently going through the archives, and your first editor's letter, there's a sentiment that really struck a chord with me. And in the letter, you said that healing this planet and creating change will come from reestablishing the connections we have lost with the sources from which everything we touch comes. And without being able to take you there physically, we are going to do it through the way humans have always traveled through time and space, through stories. And I think that's so beautifully put. And, you know, as we've been saying throughout this whole conversation, the world is reckoning with a global health pandemic. It's reckoning with systemic racism and just reckoning with general uncertainty about what's ahead for us. And fashion has a role to play in all of these things. And so as you think about the holistic approach to sustainability, as we move into the second half of 2020, how do you hope that another tomorrow can tap into this to tell stories that push the industry forward in a more inclusive direction? You know, it was really interesting when we um, when we did our first research, and, and thank you so much for your support on what we're doing in the magazine, because we really put so much time, love, and energy into this. But it really came back to... Um, when we first were talking to prospective customers and understanding how we would bring value to their lives, I found that um, the people that I spoke with that really understood sustainability and ethics and fashion in, in one, could be any one singular way, they, they kind of learned it by accident. Um, and they generally learned it through really high quality journalism. So perhaps they were just happened to be reading The New Yorker and there was a, you know, a long form piece on cashmere or something that something else of that nature but that information sat really deeply and once it was internalized engendered a real change in behavior and so i think that that um, is something that we really seek to replicate at scale and become a source of that information um and fashion touches so many people and ecosystems and animals that i think that it's really kind of a beautiful, um, almost like case study for how everything that we purchase and engage with has this ripple effect on the planet. But I think, you know, looking at the current crisis, I think it's forced us to really slow down and to see what was more convenient to look away from um, mm -hmm. because we're staring at it. And, you know, I think for us, you know, our work is really an extension of you know, recreating respect through reconnecting and, and really bringing visibility to the people and the ecosystems that are way too often hidden behind our clothes. I think that was something that that COVID also inspired, you know, seeing all of these incredible people who make each other's, you know, day-to-day -day lives possible and that are, you know, generally not, are often not seen or appreciated. Um, for us, you know, there's really, there are a lot of different facets to how we approach this. You know, one is through technology, so using technology to enable transparency and, and see the provenance behind you know, every single garment, um, so to make that just kind of proximate and easy. Um, but I do really see the incredible power of narrative journalism um, in our magazine and its ability to really reintroduce nuance, because I think a lot of these discussions around sustainability or ethics, they can come across in really black or white terms. Um, but that's not how the world works and that's not how people operate. And so bringing nuance back, I think, is is really essential to change. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure when you're kind of going through the motions of reading pieces or spearheading narratives across Another Tomorrow, 
that questions naturally pop up in terms of what to consider and just generally things to ask ourselves and our communities that maybe normally wouldn't take the time to consider otherwise, especially now as we're in a slower period altogether. And so with that in mind, I always like to ask our guests if there's a particular question that they hope their communities start asking them more often. So for you, what would that question be? Such a good question. Um, I'm a huge fan of just the broad-based curiosity and the questions that continually surprise me. Um, I find them, sometimes I help teach uh, classes and I find I get the most remarkable ones from from many of the students who are, you know, who truly approach their day to day lives from a level of curiosity I've never seen before. So I, I like all the small unexpected um, questions that we haven't thought about ourselves. Um, the question that I always encourage people to ask, um, which is, I think, a simple one as it relates to ethics and sustainability in fashion is, was the person who made this garment paid a living wage? Um, I think that you know there's a lot of complexity in the industry, but if there's one question that I think everyone can be asking and that's incredibly powerful, I think that's a really important one. Um, and a lot of times people don't know the answers on the other side, but um, I think it forces them to start thinking about the question. So that isn't maybe a perfect answer, <laughs> but that's sort of how I that's sort of how I think about it. No, it makes sense, especially as it pertains to what you're doing. And I guess to follow up on that, is there a question that you're going to be posing to the Another Tomorrow community during this time? Oh, you know, we're we are trying to stay um, as close to our community as possible, and that is really um, how are you feeling? What do you need? What are you struggling with? To bring it back to their day-to-day lives um and how are you going to be a part of another tomorrow what are the actions that you're going to take that will concretely change the course of our future um so it's really it's really kind of a range that's actually really powerful because it seems like between another tomorrow's conscious community of consumers and then just what you're doing that there's this level of mutual accountability to create another tomorrow, which I think all industries and all brands will have to kind of enforce as we go through this time and shift in how we exist. And I think that in itself is a whole other conversation. But for this interview, I only have one final question that I want to ask. And I always think it's a nice way to bring these discussions full circle. And that is, why do you think slowing down our relationship to content will ultimately help us live, work, and feel better? I believe fundamentally that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And with a lot of noise, it's so easy to forget this. And I see this in myself. And so I find that having the opportunity to really quiet the mind and to live in the present, it brings you know, a sense of peace and an ability to have a much stronger intention in all the facets of our lives. That was my conversation with Vanessa Barboni-Halleck of Another Tomorrow. 
Learn more about the brand's sustainability efforts online by visiting their website at anothertomorrow.co and by following them on social media at Another Tomorrow. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, and thank you for listening to another episode of Slow Stories. Be sure to follow us on social at Slow Stories Official on Instagram and at Slow Stories Pod on Twitter. And stay tuned for our next episode coming very soon.